Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. All right, so I have a, I have a, a three-year-old and I have a six-year-old. And actually, my six-year-old is about to be turning seven uh, next week. Her name is Blakely. And my three-year-old, her name is Ember with an E. And let me just tell you this, that when you name your child... Be very, very watchful and prayerful of what you call that child because whatsoever you call them, so they are. Literally, you have, as a parent, whatever you name, you have authority over. Hello. Whatever you name, you have authority over. So we named her Ember, and I'm telling you, we're dealing with the consequences of that name, right? So when I'm talking about, like, influencing your children or influencing your spouse, I am in no way talking about controlling them because there is a big difference between influence and control. So let me just say this. If they are three, four years old and under, absolutely control, absolutely contain, keep them isolated because let me tell you what happened. Uh, about a year ago, when she was two turning three, uh, my, my wife was still in her HGTV phase, you know, where you're doing some, some remodeling to the house, and I was being submitted to the five foot six blonde, and I was hanging some, some pictures on the wall of our, our daughter's playroom, and as I was Hanging the picture, I was making sure that it was straight and that it was just perfectly aligned with the measurements. And in a moment, I literally like fell to the ground like like a slinky going down. Like I felt like I had been tackled by a 350-pound lineman. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what was that? And I picked myself up and I look behind me. There's a two-year-old little terrorist, blonde, about two and a half foot tall with a hammer and she's holding the hammer with two hands and she knocked out my L4. So let me say this, when they're three years old, four year olds, control them, keep them contained. But when they get a little bit older and the key is how do you know when I need to start not controlling my children but influencing my children when they can understand you, when they can understand the the arts of communication, right? And essentially what happened was when my daughters turned three, they started understanding. And I heard this teaching by a guy named Andy Stanley. He's a leadership guru. He has a church of about 25, 30,000 in Atlanta. And he says, look, when you are a parent, you want your goal to be influenced and not control. Because this is the thing. When they're older, 17, 18, 19, and they start looking for colleges or going into the workplace, if your goal has been control, then you will lose influence later in life. You will lose influence. It's because one day they're not going to be in your house. One day you're not going to be paying for their phone bill. One day you're not going to be paying for their car or their insurance. They're going to be on their own. And if you have tried to control them and contain them, then when they're outside of your house, if that's all you've tried to do, then you will lose influence. But if you have tried to influence your child... And they leave your house in good standing and good relationships. Guess what? You'll always have influence with your child, even when they become an adult. So what's the difference between influence and control? Well, control uses fear, manipulation, and aggression to try to control the other party. And the end result is essentially getting them to submit to you. 
But influence is using godly communication and intimacy through right of relationship, vulnerability, and transparency to not get them to submit to you, to get them to submit to God. So that's the best. Hey, listen, that's the best scenario is if they learn not just to submit to you, but to submit to God when they're outside of the house and they have a relationship with the world under covenant with Yahweh, then guess what? It's not going to matter if you're around or not. It's not going to matter if you're checking on them every hour, making sure they're not getting into trouble, because if they have learned to submit to the will and the word of God, then you never have to control again because you know that they are influenced not just by you, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we just say amen to that? That's where we need to get to in the household of this faith, in the household of God. So what about our relationships with our boss? What about our relationships at work outside of the house? And this is the thing. 90% of the reason why people leave their current job is for one reason. It's not the money. It's not the hours. It's the relationship with their boss. 90%. And this is what I've understood about working in relationship with somebody at times that I disagree with. It's this. Whatever I honor, I attract. But if I, whatever I dishonor repels away from me. So this is the thing. What we do is behind closed doors with people that we trust, essentially what we do is we talk smack, we murmur, we complain, and then we wonder why our relationship with our boss isn't where it needs to be in the public place. Because there's a spiritual principle here. There's a spiritual dynamic. Listen, this is a very natural world that you see around you, but there is a spiritual world that I want to propose to you is even more real than this natural world. Because before the natural, the spiritual. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The invisible God through faith formed through his language, framed through his language, everything that we see today. So the natural was not first, but the spiritual was first. So there's a spiritual principle and a spiritual dynamic in even our communication. That's why the Bible says if you receive a prophet in the name of a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. Why? It's because we're not just honoring the gift that's on the individual, but we're honoring the individual himself. So now I gain access to what is in the spirit of that individual. And we wonder why our relationship isn't where it needs to be with the people around us. It's because we're, when we're away from them, then we talk about them like they're a dog. We talk about them like there's somebody that has no value, somebody that has no honor. And then when we're, when we're in their presence, it's awkward and it's weird because there is a spiritual dynamic now that you have to get over like a hurdle. So can we agree that the best thing that we can do with the people that we disagree with is actually honor them, not talk about them behind their back. And then what will end up happening is there will be a relationship that is bonded by the spirit. And then what can happen is you guys can move together. Well, what if you do if there's conflict? Well, the Bible says in Amos, how, to, how can two walk together unless they're in agreement? And I want to propose to you that's not talking about the opinion 
That's talking about the relationship. Meaning, I'm going to fight for this relationship more than I fight for my personal opinion. Right? Because what we do is we get so caught up on the opinion that we're trying to defend. And there we go again. We start to try to control the opinion of the other person. So the best thing to do with people that we disagree with is say, you know what? I disagree with your opinion, but I still agree with you as a person. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So it doesn't matter really if we agree on an opinion or not. All that matters is I'm going to fight for the spirit of this relationship. I'm going to fight for my kids, even if I disagree with them. I'm going to fight for my wife, and I'm going to cover her. And I'm going to fight for the bosses in my life, even if I don't agree with them. Because I know those relationships in my life are put there by God. There's no accidents in the kingdom of God. And everything that happens to me is ordered by the Lord, because the Bible says a righteous man's footsteps are ordered by him. So every boss that I have in front of me is systematically put there intentionally by God, not just to form him into the image of Jesus, but to form me into the image of Jesus. And that's where the disagreements and all the things that try to come against us to take away our joy are actually working for us and molding us into a better image of Jesus, right? Because as he is, so are we in this world. I want to propose to you that the world is not looking for another you, The world is looking for him. So what if the gospel is actually where we're like camouflaged into Jesus and Jesus is camouflaged into us and then every person that we meet has an, has a relationship and has an encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. That's where we need to get to. So let's read about this person in the Bible named Daniel. I love this. Daniel was a noble from the southern kingdom, which was Jerusalem, which is Judah. And Daniel chapter 4, let's look, let's start out at verse 9. And Daniel and his buddies, we know him by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, that's their Israelite names. And isn't it funny that we know them by their Babylonian names? <laughs> maybe, that, maybe that should teach us something that we're, we're more captivated and formed and controlled by the Babylonian system around us than what God calls them in the first place. So Daniel chapter 4, verses 9, he was in captivity, he was in exile. They, to, they took the, the, the nobles, the best of the land back to Babylon, which is modern day, I believe it's Iraq. And let's, let's look what happened. So no doubt that Daniel is probably, I don't want to say he's struggling being here, but he's probably struggling being there because he's taken away from his home. He's taken away from his family and he's serving this pagan king that does not know God. Let's look what happens in chapter four. I don't have time to go through what happens verse uh, chapter 1, 2, and 3, but chapter 4, it picks up here. Belshazzar, chief of the magicians. Everyone say chief of the magicians. This is important. Because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you. The, the original translation says, I know that the spirit of the gods. He was a polytheist, meaning he believed in many gods. He, he was not a worshiper of, Nebuchadnezzar was not a worshiper of God yet, but the Bible also calls Nebuchadnezzar God's servant. 
Nebuchadnezzar was God's servant because he was there to chastise the, the nation of Israel to bring them back into fellowship and relation with God. So Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, Belshazzar was a name that Nebuchadnezzar gave to Daniel. Was that he was actually named after one of their gods. So they called Daniel Belshazzar. They called him chief of the magicians. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen its interpretation. For time's sake, I don't want to go through the interpretation of the dream. I want, I want to tell you his response to the dream once he interpreted it to Nebuchadnezzar. And then look what it says in verse 19. After Daniel interprets the dream, this is what he said. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time. His thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. What does this mean? This means that he, he developed so much love for a pagan king. This means he chose the route of honor over dishonor. Again, the Babylonians came and sacked Jerusalem in 586 BC. They destroyed the temple. They took the articles, the holy consecrated articles of the tabernacle, out of the tabernacle, desecrated it. Then took the nobles back into Babylon to train them up for three years in the ways of the king. And but Daniel, because he knew the heart of the father, even towards pagans and even towards pagan leaders, when he was interpreting the dream to this pagan leader, he says, my God, may this dream not even have to do with you, but maybe it about maybe may it be applied to your enemies. And notice what they called Daniel, the chief of the magicians. Notice what they called him, Belshazzar. Why? Why they call him that? It's because they named him after their pagan gods. But I want you to notice the revelation in his response. He did not correct them for calling him chief of the magicians. This man was a prophet. This man had a book written after him. But this is the thing. You can't argue with unbelievers about theology. You can't argue with people that don't know God about the ways and the things of God. They called him chief of the magicians and he didn't even correct them. They called him Belshazzar. He didn't even correct them. Why? Because the culture is not looking for an argument. Culture is looking for a solution. But yet, what do we do? We get behind our avatars are alter egos on social media and then we argue all day long with the left about principles that they think they understand but they're coming from a lot of people that don't even know god they don't even know god and yet what do we do we want to get angry with culture and I'm just going to say it. There's so many people that I'm a patriot. I'm just like our pastor. But we have more loyalty to the American flag and what we think it means than in the God of this nation. We're more loyal to the Constitution 
than to the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus that made us free from the law of sin and death. And I am a loyalist. I believe that God gave us this nation, but I believe that there is going to be a lot of turmoil and conflict if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't stand up to offer a solution to unredeemed culture rather than to speak violently about the things that they don't understand. It doesn't matter what they call us. If you know who you are, that's all that matters. Daniel knew that he was a prophet and he wasn't going to argue about a, a prophecy or about a dream or about something that a pagan king doesn't understand. He was just going to offer them a solution to what he was wanting. Why? It's because he understood that God strategically, intentionally put him before that king to make that kingdom the kingdom of his God. That's the whole reason for Revelation. That's the whole re reason for Revelation chapter 11. That the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. And Daniel knew that he was a person that was like a special forces ambassador of Yahweh to get before a pagan king to transform the culture around him. And this is the thing. It didn't just happen once. It happened, with Bel it happened with Nebuchadnezzar, it happened with Belshazzar, it happened with Darius, and it happened with Cyrus. It didn't matter what pagan came, came into power. And Daniel knew that he had an assignment by God. Not to argue, not to be angry, but to offer a solution. I want to show you something else. All right, let's look at Daniel chapter 6. This is with another king. He was a Mede-Persian that sacked the nation of Babylon. His name was Darius. Daniel chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Daniel chapter 6, verses 18, 19. We'll read through 21. This is after there was an edict from the king that everyone should worship him. It was an ego thing. And then Daniel said, no, I can't do that. So what he did is he went up to the upper room in front of the window and he prayed to his God three times a day because he remained consecrated before his God. So Darius, there was this edict sign and Darius didn't really even know what he was signing, didn't know that it would affect Daniel. And then when he understood it affect Daniel, he realized, oh my gosh, he had so much love for Daniel too. And this is where we're at right here. Verse 18, now the king went to his palace, spent the night fasting. That's my kind of fast, amen? Huh? Spending the night fasting. If you sleep, you fast. Okay. All right. Keep up with me. All right. All right. Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the, when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually, been able to deliver for you from the lions. Then look what Daniel said in verse 21. O king, you live forever. That's a really good response to a man that was just thrown into a den of lions. Do you see this here? Do you see the witness of a man of God before a person that he disagreed with? He didn't get mad. 
He didn't get angry. He didn't tarnish the name of God. But what did he do? He chose honor instead of dishonor. I'm going to talk about something that has absolutely caused an uproar in our country. And I think we need to talk about it. Because historically, the church in most of these issues, like, we need to be right in the middle, but we've either been silent or we've been violent. We've had a voice that has repelled people away, or we've been afraid and we've had no voice. And we know what happened in the 70s. There was something called Roe versus Wade that was passed. We know what Roe versus Wade is, right? It's the killing of innocent babies. And then what we've had over this past year, we've had a, a law that was passed in New York that they literally could kill babies coming out of the womb. Partial birth abortions. I don't know if you've seen this. If, you've, if you haven't seen this, then you need to come out from the cave, okay? Because this is an issue that our nation is facing. And literally the baby's coming out at partial birth and, and a doctor has an instrument where it breaks the neck. When the head is already out of, of, of the mother. And it, and it caused an absolute uprising. Because I'm, I'm going to be the first to tell you that that is absolutely wrong. And I believe it is murder before our God. But I also believe that the church has needed a lot different response than the response that we gave culture that didn't fully understand this. Remember, we were either silent or violent. I don't think the answer is picketing. I don't think that that the answer is going out in front of Planned Parenthood buildings and causing a riot. In fact, this is where God is messing with me. I think it's illegal to preach against uh, uh, abortion if you're not willing to adopt. Isn't adoption the foundational revelation of what happened to you and me? Isn't adoption what God did to us first? That we received the spirit of adoption and now we cry out, Abba, Father? Right? And see, the thing that I'm beginning to understand about this whole thing is like the question, God, I have been confused whether I need to go to culture with a whip or with a towel and basin. And I see Jesus doing both. And then the Lord stopped me and he said, I never went to culture with a whip. I actually went to the church with a whip first. I want to propose to you that Jesus would not go into unredeemed culture with a whip. He would actually defend it from an angry church. And I'm not, I'm not advocating being passive. I'm advocating offering a solution. I'm advocating us being mothers and fathers that disciple 
that have relationships with people that are hurting and broken and they think this is the only way and they think this is the only option because I don't believe we as the people of God has stood up to offer a solution to culture that doesn't understand. So you might ask me, you might say, well, why do you think culture is so disillusioned and so deceived? Let me, let me, let me show you what I found. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. And we've seen this take place over the last, well, over the last millenniums. But really, I can show you a couple different occasions over the last hundred years. Ephesians chapter 6. And notice this. This is funny. Chapter 5, he's talking about relationships between the husband and the wife. Then he's talking about relations. Stay with me. Relations between the parent and the child. And then he's talking about the relation between the master and the slave. And then he goes into spiritual warfare. Husband, wife, parent, child, master, slave. And then he goes into spiritual warfare. Nothing in the Bible is just coincidence. It's revelation by God to help us. All right, so let's look. Verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities, power, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. If I were to have more time with you, I would show you through the book of Daniel how principalities show up in chapter 10. How there are princes over regions that control government leaders. And this is the thing. If they control government leaders, it says that they will change the times and then they will change the laws. I looked up the word principles and principles is the Greek word arche. And it means first things or it means principles. It's trans principalities is actually translated principles in Hebrews chapter 6 where Paul is taking I believe Paul was a writer of Hebrews and he's taking the church off of the six milk bottles of the faith and he said let's let's move on past the essential principles of our faith so principles are core values individually and over a nation and I want to propose to you that principalities corrupt core values of a nation principalities are put over nations to try to deceive people into beginning to distort and abort the things that should just be common sense. Let me show you. That's why we have genius level gynecologists and doctors that are saying, oh, that's, that's not a baby, that's a fetus. When all you have to do is go through and look at a 3D ultrasound where a doctor can give a child a shot or a simple procedure and watch the fetus begin to recoil from pain. You see how principalities, they affect core values that should be common sense. They should be foundational to our thinking. We see this again back in 1938, back in 1939, when a guy named Adolf Hitler, he convinced the whole nation that the Jews were subhuman. How in the world would you 
deceive a whole nation into thinking that a people group, God's people group, were less than human. He literally dehumanized the Jews into getting the people to believe that they were a subspecies of humanity. That's why he promoted his agenda. That's how he promoted his agenda. But I want to propose to you that Adolf Hitler was not the issue. It was a principality. It was a spiritual force behind the man that began to get into the minds of culture to get them to believe a certain way that was so contrary that that should be common sense. Are you with me? That's where racism comes from. Okay? That's where sexual perversion comes from. That's where drug addiction comes from. That's where homosexuality comes from. But yet, this is the thing. We get mad at the individual. We get mad at the person. We say, repent, or you're going to go to hell. But yet, we don't offer them a solution. Yet, we don't go and take them by the hand and walk with them through life to show them that there's a higher way. That there's a higher way called discipleship. That there's a higher way called spiritual fathering and spiritual mothering. That this is what I believe that we need to do to conquer this thing in here. This is what I believe we need to do to influence people that we disagree with. What we need to do is we need to attack the spiritual first and then we need to go low in the natural. For we wrestle not, it, the original translation actually says, we wrestle not only against flesh and blood. Because, you know, we have arguments every day with people. But the source of those arguments a lot of times can be reduced to a higher spiritual force that is in work in the minds of people that give him access. So what if we begin to attack the spiritual and then to go low in the natural? Let me, let me show you a couple more things and we're going to end. Are you guys with me this morning? Are you guys mad at me? Hallelujah. That's good. I want to inspire hope. I believe that every word that comes forth from a pulpit, it can be hard at times. It can be convicting. But if it does not inspire hope, I believe it can be empowered by the wrong spirit. So I want to, I want to empower hope. All right, let's look at this. All right, go to... Go to, this is funny, this is what I saw over, the, over the, the weekend when I was looking at this. Go to Exodus 32, verses 6 through 14. Exodus 32, verses 6 through 14. This is after Moses went and he got the law from Mount Sinai. And the people were absolutely going, they're wilding out for, for 40 days. I mean, this is crazy. So this is where we're at in verse 6. Moses is coming back down. Aaron's put in charge. Aaron absolutely failed on this, okay? But verse 6, uh, verse six then they arose early on the next day, offered burnt eating, uh, offerings, and brought peace offerings. The problem was they offered them to a calf rather than God, all right? And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Right, and the Lord said to Moses, "Listen to the language. It sounds like it sounds like a parent, right? Look at this. Go get down for your people. <laughs> oh God, that's that's the wrong pronoun. When when my daughters do something wrong, my wife goes, "Your daughter, your daughter." God says, "Moses, they're your people. They're not my people anymore. Your people 
whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. I've been like Moses, been like, well, I don't think I split the Red Sea, but all right. For your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them. And I will... And this one, he said, he goes, I'll start over with you, Moses. I'll start all over with you. Listen to this. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against, I love this, your people, whom you have brought, whom you, you talk, you talk about switch it up a little bit, turn the tables, you brought them out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, to consume them from the face of the earth, turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your servants, to whom you have swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. And all this land that I've spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Essentially what God says, you know what, you're right. You're right. But you want, to know what I was, you, you want to know what I saw over the weekend? God didn't do this, right? He didn't wipe out his people. But you want to know what he was looking for? He was looking for an intercessor and he found one. He was looking for an intercessor and he found one. Numbers chapter 20, I want to... Start getting a little bit, I want to go a little bit faster so we can end here in a couple minutes. Numbers chapter 20, same man, same leader, same intercessor. He said, God, we have no water. Moses had been with these people for years. Isn't it amazing how our intercession can die out when we get more focused on the unbelief of culture rather than the saving grace of our God? Isn't it amazing how when, when Dr. Ballou, he talked about perspective, how when our perspective shifts from intercession, right, before God to, man, these people are really jacked up. <laughs> Numbers chapter 20, this happened. And God told Moses, he says, they have no water. He said, son, you go speak to the rock. You know what Moses did? He struck it. And he struck it twice. What the Lord spoke to me is he says, my people have been striking. They have not been speaking. We have been striking out at people that don't understand. We have been judging people that we are supposed to be offering a solution to. We have been holding people up in contempt before a judge that they don't even know. There's a guy named Peter, right? Matthew 26, Jesus brings his disciples into a garden called Gethsemane. He intercedes on behalf of the people for himself before God because he knew he was about to go to the cross as our high priest and shed blood for the remission of many. And he was speaking to his disciples, the three, Peter, James, and John, and he says, 
Can you pray with me? Can you pray with me for one hour? And what happens? We all know the story. They fell asleep. They didn't pray. They were tired. They were weary. And what happened when they came out of the Garden of Gethsemane? Scholars believe that there was at least maybe a legion, maybe a thousand men that came to arrest Jesus. Judas betrays him with a kiss, right? And then the high priest's servant, Malchus, comes up. What did Peter do? He cut off his ear. I want to propose to you that when we, when we fail in private devotion, we'll cut off the ears of those we're trying to redeem. Because Peter didn't know the heart of Jesus, didn't fully understand why he was going to the cross, not just to die for him, but to die for the culture around him. He acted out in anger and he cut off the ear that Jesus was always meant to heal. Jesus picked up the ear and put it on because he knew he was called to heal. You guys stand up this morning. Pastor Dan, can you? So I think it's pretty clear what us, the Church of Jesus Christ, is supposed to do. We're never supposed to go into culture with a whip. Why? Because judgment must begin in the household of God. If you go through all the major prophets, if you go through all the minor prophets, you will see, you will see that the prophets prophesied to the priests, to the leaders, to the high priests first. And I really believe that this house is doing a phenomenal job at showing the person of Jesus Christ. But I do know one thing. None of us in this building has arrived. That's the beauty of sanctification. We were sanctified and we're being sanctified. We were saved, we're being saved. We were saved in spirit, we're being saved in emotion and feeling in mind. So it's pretty simple this morning. I'm not even going to call. I don't, I'm not going to call an altar call. Because I believe sometimes we've made an idol out of the altar. I love the altar. I love prayer. But I think sometimes it's not how high of an experience that we have in church on the mountaintop. It's how straight we walk when we come back down before culture before the people were called to redeem. So what if we change, there's that word again, doc, our perspective. What if we chose to disagree with the opinion and not the person? What if instead of going in with a whip, what if we went in with a towel and basin? What if we had such a heart strike, such a heart change, through. You're not going to get this through a sermon. A sermon is to make you aware. It's to open up your eyes. It's to take the dirt out of your eyes so you can see. But private devotion, intimate time with Jesus, it's what's going to give you a heart for the lost. 
It's what's going to give you a heart for people that you might just can't stand and you're angry at because they're a bunch of liberals. <laughs> and there's, listen, this is the thing. There's just as many wicked Republicans as there's liberals. That's not about that. This is about God's throne being established on justice and righteousness. And do you see how mankind kind of perverts that? Do you see how Republicans more so fall into righteousness, more morality, core values, and then the liberals, they kind of fall into justice, feeding the poor? Do you see this? But yet they don't have the throne in the middle. But God says, if you put me high, I do both. And we can't expect the government to do the church's job. We're called to set the tone of morality in the country and to feed the poor. So I think if we rose up, we could probably put government out of business because we are the ecclesia. We are the governing body. We are the called out ones. So everyone just lift up your hands before the Lord. So Father, we know that this maybe is just the beginning. This is just the awareness. This is just where we need to come higher as your sons and daughters, as your ambassadors, as your representatives to a lost earth that you're called to, we're called to redeem. Father, your word says all of creation is not waiting for the manifestation of the son, but all of creation is waiting for the manifestation of these sons and the daughters of God. What we're feeling right now are birth pains, things that are happening earthquakes of culture politics of culture that are causing sons and daughters to be birthed out of the church to rise up to take our place to say hey let me be a solution let me be one that helps you out with this let me be one that speaks the truth in love so father i pray for your people this morning i pray that you would take us higher corporately Father, I pray that you take us higher individually. Father, I pray that there would be heart strikes in this place. Father, I pray that there would be perspectives that would shift, God. I pray that there would be mindsets, God, that fall off and they die in this house. And there would be the mind of Christ that is literally put on the body of Christ. Because you said, foxes have holes, have, have, have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He's talking about you. He's talking about his body. He's talking about so putting the mind of Christ on his people that we actually don't just declare his name but we act out his name and lifestyle so father i pray that we would walk this out i pray that we would live this out if you believe that just say take us higher this morning lord take say it one more time say take us higher this morning hallelujah thank you for joining us for the new hope sermon of the week for more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newfolkonline.com.